Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mullinger Meets Canadians is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. Brooks Diamond Productions is the most respected and appreciated entertainment production company in Atlantic Canada and is run by Nova Scotia-based power couple Brooks and Fiona Diamond. Fiona and Brooks have worked with and managed the careers of everyone from Rita McNeil, the Rankin family and Bruce Guthrow, to Rene Smith, Mark Critch, Bette MacDonald and guitar hero Roland Grant. They've produced shows everywhere from Halifax and Cape Breton Island and St. John to the Sydney Opera House and Broadway in New York City. In short, they've done it all. And I've learned during my years living here, they are the Kevin Bacons of East Coast Entertainment. Everyone who works in showbiz here has a connection to them. They're also two of the kindest, sweetest people I've ever met in this occasionally brutal industry. And quite frankly, their guidance and advice has kept me sane over the past 15 months. I have loved getting to know them, and I know you will too. Fiona founded the company with Brooks in 1977, and in that capacity she has been show producer, concert promoter, project manager and marketing director. She created and founded the nationally televised Halifax Comedy Festival, which she sold in 2007, and she promotes numerous tours including Lord of the Dance, Gordon Lightfoot and Bruce Cockburn. She even brought in Jerry Seinfeld for a QE2 Foundation fundraiser. I know! Fiona and Brooks together created Nova Scotia's globally renowned musical extravaganza production, Drum. Since 1971, Brooks himself has been Atlantic Canada's leading entertainment producer and promoter of concerts, theatre shows, trade shows and special events. And he's won every award going from Canadian Manager of the Year to ECMA Industry Builder, uh, Best Event Producer, Best Promoter and ECMA Industry Person of the Year. Together... Brooks and Fiona were the recipients of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal in 2012 for their contribution to Canada. And I can't wait to learn how they've stayed at the top of their game for almost half a century in East Coast entertainment. Here we go. Brooks and Fiona, how are you? Morning. Great. Thank you. Good. I can't thank you enough for joining me here today. I have so many questions because not many people have been doing what you do for as long as you've been doing it. Tell me a bit about how you got started in Canadian entertainment. The The whole thing was a complete uh, matter of chance. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea about anything regarding the music industry or the entertainment industry. I just got tapped on the shoulder one day when I was at Dal 
a friend of mine uh, asked me to run a parade for the winter carnival and uh, it was going to be happening in a week and i said of course i don't know anything about parades what the heck are you talking about he said uh, nobody else does either uh, <laughs> you gotta do it we don't have any time to fool around so uh, snapped into gear and put it together and had a smash of a good time and uh, got asked to run the winter carnival the next year and the old brain just uh, exploded with ideas and inspirations and so on and uh, got through that met uh, some really interesting people but most especially uh, the Irish group Ryan's Fancy so I met Stomp and Tom as well we had him booked in at the Winter Carnival nice and um and Ryan's Fancy had just arrived in town that weekend, um, met them up at the fraternity house. We became fast friends and um, graduated out of education. That didn't seem like such a good fit for me. Um, <laughs> started working with the Ryan's Fancy boys and partying with them and... Um, we're still doing it. <laughs> Amazing. So essentially, you know, it was the kind of classic maritime route of do something once, fall in love with it, and everything has followed organically. That is an excellent and completely correct way to put it. <laughs> and how about for you, Fiona? Well, I just have to say one more thing um, about Brooks's experience at the beginning. And that was he grew up in the Maritimes but always listen to American radio stations. Right. So when he heard what well, was actually Eric McEwen, do you want to tell that story? <laughs> James, what really sparked uh, an intense reaction and a, a moment of amazement for me was being up in Sydney with a bunch of friends of mine uh, having a, a little party and uh, heard this fantastic song on the radio. And the song, as I was listening to it, called up these images of uh, fishing boats and a harbor and the peninsulas out on both sides. It was a beautiful sight. And uh, I thought, damn, those Americans, they've even figured us out on that front. <laughs> and uh, now they're exploiting that aspect of who we are and what we are and so on. Uh, so when the song finished, I asked the guys I was with, geez, do you know who that singer uh, was? And the radio and they said uh, oh that's Kenzie McNeil he he lives here in Cape Breton hmm. uh, I couldn't believe it uh, there was actually a, a song on the radio by somebody from here right. it was astounding to me and um, I realized after finding out more about the radio program of Eric McEwen's and what he was doing on it playing East Coast artists and so on that maybe just maybe something was stirring and uh sure enough by god there was something stirring <laughs> big time i mean you've seen this kind of uh, evolution i mean no one loves the maritimes more than you guys and you've done so much for this region but inevitably it is we have to work harder here on the east coast uh, especially in the entertainment industry how have you kind of embraced that fact and pushed through and was there ever a temptation to leave i i, I i'll answer that <laughs> <laughs> so I am actually not from the Maritimes originally. Right. Um, I grew up in Ottawa, but I'm emphatically not from there. <laughs> um, I actually originated in England, James. So right. um, ended up here and ended up moving to the Maritimes in 1971. Oh. And um, 
I met Brooks, I was actually running entertainment at the student union building at Dalhousie University. Um, and that was a great job. And I got to program absolutely everything. And back in those days, uh, we had band live bands every single weekend. Uh, we had speakers. We had famous people coming. It was very, very exciting times. Yeah. And we got to do concerts at the Rebecca Cohen, which had just been built. Wow. Um, and I met Brooks when he tried to book Ryan's Fancy uh, <laughs> with me. And I actually said they were too expensive <laughs> and said no. <laughs> and so he went around my back, I guess, and went to one of the student organizations and got them to book it in. <laughs> and I had to work the event because I ran everything that went on in the building. And so that's kind of how we ended up meeting. And then I guess we got through that first little issue and <laughs> ended up working together. And uh, well, then it morphed from there. But I guess... In answer to the East Coast question, mm -hmm. I think Brooks, who lived in every province of Atlantic Canada growing up, is a, a passionate Atlantic Canadian, mm. underlined. <laughs> and a lot of that rubbed off on me. When I moved here, I had lived in different parts of Canada. And when I moved to Nova Scotia I, I, and Halifax, I, I fell in love from the moment I drove in off the highway. I don't know if you felt that way, James, but it was yes. instant for me. Totally. And so with his passionate love of everything East Coast, and when he started, literally, there was no industry. As he said, there were no East Coast music on the radio. Didn't no. exist. And every artist that came here was if they were Canadian. I mean, the Canadian industry was barely starting. Right. And so every artist that came here or toured was from another part of Canada or from the U.S. And so it became kind of a, I don't know, I suppose an unspoken mission yeah. to celebrate and build awareness of this amazing talent that we knew existed here, but the rest of the world didn't. And it, it really came from a very authentic place, if you want to say. And it was Brooks's love of the area and his love of the music of the area. And beginning with Brian's Fancy, who, of course, were Irish and came from Ireland. But their music was very representative of the music that was coming out of the Atlantic Canada at the time. So a love affair was born, and that, and you're right, it did build organically from there. And it's amazing to me that you've both been at the forefront of this movement from the very beginning through to present day and still working with artists like Rini Smith and making them nationally and globally renowned. How have you seen the industry as a whole evolve over the four decades that you've been doing this? Why? <laughs> that's a that's a very large question. Was, uh, the uh, discovery of the East Coast scene 
particularly by the big record companies, which, of course, were hugely prominent at the time. The ECMAs that had started somewhere in there 30 years ago, whatever. And uh, that started a kind of a movement of, of these important people down here to, to discover our talent was one of the huge revolutions in terms of moving the scene forward. But to go back again just a little bit, the explosion of interest in the whole Celtic thing that seemed to start with Ryan's Fancy, but when I say exploded, it, it really did. John Allen Cameron shot up there, and the whole Newfoundland scene, there was all kinds of stuff going on over there. It was, it was like a cultural revolution back in those days. Uh, Cape Breton Summertime Review got started kind of seemingly from nothing other than just the natural talent of, uh, that was there and so on. But then that all evolved into the whole electronic uh, age where, of course, we've all experienced this whole revolution in terms of how things get transmitted and received and uh, accepted by people and online and all that sort of thing. So true. I mean, do you both feel like it's quite a unique thing to this region that there is this feeling of support? As you say, I mean, the growth of all of these artists and indeed your businesses and careers has been extremely organic. But of course, it's come about through incredible graft and hard work and belief in those that you are working with. But it also stems from this feeling of everyone wanting to support each other and embrace other artists. I mean, not to say that it isn't competitive here, but there there is definitely a feeling that everyone wants everyone to do well. Is that something that you think has kind of kept you excited all of these years? There's no question that there is. I mean, it sounds a bit corny, but there really is that feeling of support mm. that exists. It's almost like a giant family. Um, we all, I mean, the Canadian music industry and the Canadian entertainment industry is small. And it's a larger version of that. But there is a very special feeling in Atlantic Canada because I guess we were for so long kind of at the bottom of the pile and not taken notice of that. I mean, we do compete with each other, but we do all support each other. I mean, you can pick up the phone and call your your main competitor and ask a question or ask them to help out with something. And it's you get an instant response. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, it's always positive. It's really helped to grow the industry here. It couldn't have been done if it was just us. It needed all these other people, wonderful people, who developed and became good, if not better than us, at what they do. And suddenly there was an infrastructure, and that had to be built on a level of support and belief from the entire community here. So including true. the government, the respective governments, uh, various levels in various of the four provinces. That's true. But mm -hmm. the government, and it really should be perhaps uh, acknowledged more than it is. But the governments, certainly true in Nova Scotia, have been incredibly supportive of the industry and the national government as well. Incredibly supportive, and it has made a huge difference. It's not something I was in favor of when I started a business, very much the opposite. But uh, as they slowly picked up on it and started to support things, 
it became very obvious that there was a place for that kind of activity to happen and uh, make a difference. That's so beautiful to hear because there's not many places in the world where you would hear anyone in any creative industry say positive things about the government. <laughs> but uh, but here we are. But again, uh, yeah. the East Coast is, is unique in that way. Um, yeah. But both of you have been at the forefront of things all of this for so long. I mean, how did it go from being there, starting out with Ryan's fancy? And of course, you know, what were those early challenges apart from your future wife telling you that you were charging too much for them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you'd say that because the people who were really commenting on the prices were our colleagues in other parts of the country who were saying exactly the opposite. And that was started 50 years ago, and 50 years later, they're still saying the same thing to us. So (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I mean, mean, that's the interesting thing, though, because that is really one of those aspects of the industry that has not changed over decades, centuries, which is wanting to get what an artist is worth and working out what's the right price to charge for a different event. I mean, that is something which is intrinsically uh, this industry. But when you are starting something fresh, as you did, or starting an industry here, how did you navigate that? It was challenging Hmm. because, I mean, there were a few, it it kind of started with a few contacts uh, in other parts of Canada. I mean, Brooks early started uh, touring Bruce Coburn, here uh and that went well and got built some credibility in the rest of canada Mm. and then you know we started touring other artists of that ilk and and built that part of the business but there was always an attitude from as we say upper canada (laughs) um that was we were somehow inferior I'm sure you've never heard that before, (laughs) but but, um, it was, it was really challenging and frustrating sometimes, but one of the things that I think marks our company is persistence and, you know, particularly when Rita McNeil arrived on the scene and while she had this kind of underground following uh she was so far from what anybody would consider mainstream and i can remember very well the kinds of reactions that we would get when first of all we would play her music and people would say well you know it what genre is it where (laughs) where where does that fit on the radio um and then of course then they would see her perform and well she wasn't exactly your mainstream commercial artist right and so it was a struggle well you know the, the just to go back a little bit when you asked that that other question about uh, perhaps something of the progress i want to get back to rita but i should say that that uh, the atlantic folk festival like Ryan's Fancy, was a kind of an explosion. It was an explosion of a of an idea to put all of the artists from Atlantic Canada out on a stage on a farm <laughs> and call it a festival and see what happened. Um, but 
like Ryan's fancy and like the rest of the parts of, I guess, of this story, what really carried the day was the talent. Right. And, mm. uh, you know, one thing to have an idea to take all, take these artists uh, from the East Coast and put them in one place at one time. But it's a whole other thing when the uh, sound system gets turned on and they, st and they step on stage. Uh, it either happens or it doesn't. And, mm. and the fact is that it didn't just happen. It, it, it blew up. And people loved, they loved what they were hearing and they loved what they were seeing. And, and I guess, too, it, it should be added that they kind of loved each other you know it was a it was it was kind of like a woodstock the event for all of the years it ran and it, it just had a whole lot to do with the vibe that was coming off the stage but the vibe that was also just out there in the fields with this whole gang our gang all together in one place living freestyle and having a blast together jumping around to different campfires and getting to know each other, people from New Brunswick and meeting people from Newfoundland, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it really worked like magic. So, but what really powers all of that is the talent. And right. uh, if it ain't happening up on that stage, it ain't happening. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, and you're right, but there is that synergy where artists can have the talent, but without someone believing in them and getting them out there, it's just a tree falling in the woods and there's no one there to see it or hear it. You can put the artists up there. You can also make sure they have the infrastructure to do what they do, because as you guys have been doing this for, for far longer than I have. But one of the things that people don't always recognizes the importance of of course a professional sound system a stage because again the artist can't actually do what they do without all of that stuff in place but that's something that you've mastered but how would do you explain this thing that we have here we, we, we have the talent here we have the people here we have the views we have the infrastructure to create great things but how do you convey what we have to someone who has never been here boy what a great question it uh, it's on my mind almost continually. Right. I think that the, it's the hard times that we've weathered historically, mostly, and the kind of humility that it breeds. Mm. And with with both those packages, the, the the hard times, the humility comes humor. Right. And uh, I hate analyzing this, and I, I kind of hate even saying it, to be honest with you. But uh, there's just nothing like the East Coast. Right. And we've been all over the world, you know, with our acts in Australia, Great Britain, Europe, and certainly all over the United States. Contrary, perhaps, to current or public opinion, there are some absolutely fabulous people in the United States. Uh, yeah. And we've enjoyed some great success down there and are always amazed at how, my, how many times we meet people and think they're just like from home. Mm -hmm. But of course, they live in a different country that's another whole wreck of a story in so many ways <laughs> with all its wonders. Uh, but here, we've got that background. We were brought up. We, were, we grew up in it. We were brought up by these people and uh, we learned so much from them. And one of the things that was passed on, of course, was the music. 
right. along with the humor and the and the humility, perhaps, and the stories. Fiona just reminded me. So uh, I think that's got an enormous. The other thing, and I have to mention this, is I think being by the ocean. So all of these provinces have such a insane bounty of ocean yeah. around them and us. And that's where most of the communities are. And uh, the sea, of course, nurtures a, another whole kind of, of people and the familiarity with struggle and tragedy and then at times great bounty that rounds into a, a hearty, healthy, and, and wonderful human being. That's my first time I ever tried to explain this, but perhaps there's something to it. Oh, absolutely spot on. I mean, it, it is magical. I think you've summed it up perfectly. And then once you and Brooks had met and you were working together and realized that this was this kind of common uh, passion and cause that you had to not only celebrate and promote what this region offered in a musical capacity. You then also founded the Halifax Comedy Festival. And I would love to hear how this came about when, um, you know, I mean, I only moved here seven years ago. And when I came here, everyone said, oh, no, no, you cannot be a comedian here. If you want to do that, you've got to go to Montreal. And yet decades before, you created this phenomenally successful thing. When you said you were going to do this and in Halifax and that it was going to be this huge thing, did everyone think you were mad? <laughs> uh, it's interesting because the reason it came to be was because the music scene at the time, and this was the mid-90s, mm. had exploded. The right. Rankins were huge. Rita McNeil was huge. There was kind of a Celtic explosion that had happened and people from really different parts of North America were now coming to us and to the music community here to look for talent. You know, suddenly the breakthrough had happened. Right. And so we looked at each other and we knew, I mean, I've worked for a gazillion years with Bette McDonald, mm. a Cape Breton yeah. comedian who is Amazing. about as talented as any comedy performer you'll ever find anywhere. Yeah. And at the time, again, we recognized that we had all this comedic talent. Newfoundland, of course, was full of it. And Codco existed, but that's all. And so we wanted to try to do with comedy what had happened with music and expose East Coast comedy to the rest of the world. And that was the kind of reason behind starting it. And I have to say what happened with that is we got the idea and we then started to search for all the comedians who had moved away to make a living, which right. was just about all of them. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, called them and said, come back and do this festival. And we took the idea to CBC Maritimes, which it existed at the time. Uh, and CBC Maritimes was amazing. They actually produced a lot of shows, really top-notch music shows. Well, of course, like Sing Along Jubilee and Don Messer and mm -hmm. and uh, different music shows. And we suggested to them, why, why couldn't we do a comedy show? 
just mm-hmm. like and just for laughs did exist then and we said why can't we have something that's east coast just for laughs and they went for it like it was we we had a, one meeting with the heads of departments radio and tv and they said we love this this is it we're gonna do it this show is brought to you by the cape breton partnership The Cape Breton Partnership unite people who believe in the power of working together to increase economic opportunities in Cape Breton. The Cape Breton Partnership aims to transform Cape Breton Unamagi into the most creative and prosperous place on earth. Visit capebretonpartnership.com to discover why this island is a great place to live, work, study and invest. We are growing a culture that values and celebrates creativity, innovation and entrepreneurship. That is beautiful to hear. Again, again, there's nowhere else in the world where you would speak to someone in this industry and they would give such praise to the, not only politicians, but also the national broadcaster. This is wonderful. <laughs> this is, this is, I love this. Yeah, I have, to, I have to tell you that, you know, coming from us, uh, that's pretty amazing just in itself <laughs> because that, that was not where our natural feelings about that sort of thing would come from. So uh, <laughs> it was very, gen- it's very genuine. It's beautiful. I mean, o- over the decades, you've seen obviously different things happen. What have been the kind of career highlights for both of you? What are the moments that you felt like? Not that there's ever a moment of my work here is done, but what were the moments that you did actually feel pride? And I know both of you are extremely modest, and it's one of those interesting uh, East Coast things that we always have to reconcile of uh, the humility and modesty of Maritimers is wonderful, but sometimes we do have to sing from the rooftops what we have here and indeed what we've done but what were those moments for you when you felt like good things are happening well i have to say for me sitting in a box at royal (laughs) abert hall (laughs) with some very good friends of ours watching rita mcneil (laughs) sing for a packed sold out house was certainly one of the highlights how did that how did that feel that moment talk me through exactly how you felt in that moment it was um, maybe how how you feel landing on the moon. I mean, it was really, uh, it was spectacular, you know. It was glittering, and I mean, you've been in Royal Albert Hall, I'm sure, and you know how, yeah. what an amazing building it is. And to have this amazing woman from this tiny, tiny place in Cape Breton Island being in the spotlight there and her beautiful voice emanating through and having, and we were with some of the people that helped get her there uh, because there were a lot of people in this community that helped support her and, and, uh, and us. Yeah. In the journey who were able to share that moment and it was it was incredible it really was incredible one of them james uh, i should mention was a a fellow by the name of joe graves who was my barber believe it or not who very famously actually anted up the money to as a loan to support the creation of the first album wow. and uh, which is where 
flying on your own came from and working man what working man yeah uh, mainly flying on your own was a new song so we flew him and his family over to england for that event and that was a pretty prideful moment to see them there joe especially with his chest stuck out it was uh pretty special that's magical and and again so intrinsically here that that's how the first album came about like it's it comes down to community uh people knowing each other um and as you say people uh supporting one another in in so many different ways and i'll just tell you one quick one then i'm going to tell you another highlight but (laughs) one of our another famous story is when bell telephone called brooks (laughs) to uh cut off the phone because he hadn't paid the bill in about four months or six months or something and he said uh, to them, do you, it was woman, I think, and he said, do you listen to uh, the radio? And she said, yes. And he said, have you heard the song Flying on Your Own, which had just come out. And so the album was now out, but the money hadn't started to come in. And so she said, yes, I've, I've heard the song. And he said, <laughs> he said that's where no, your no, I, I said, do you like it? Oh, yeah. And she said, I love that song. And he said, that's where your money is. So <laughs> just be a little patient. <laughs> I said, if you if you really like that, you know, you you have to think about whether this is a good a good investment. That's amazing. <laughs> and whether the money will be coming in. And she she uh, exceeded the point. And, uh, and so times, said, have, times have changed a little bit. I'm not sure you could get away with that now, but uh, I think about two weeks later, the, the money just really did start to just pile in and they got their uh, bills paid. Amazing. But another uh, highlight moment for me, and I know Brooks, again, he's modest, but um, was the uh, in the year 2000, uh, we did a show with the Black Culture Center yeah. uh, called Jubilee. Yeah. And they had received uh, some money to put on a, uh, a show of Black Culture uh, back for the millennial year. Yeah. And uh, they had asked uh, us to, you know, consult on and, and help create the show. And the first meeting that we had at the Black Culture Center, Brooks got so excited that you could hardly Hmm. keep him nailed to the floor. But (laughs) he said, I am we're going to do this show in the Metro Center, which is, of course, Scotiabank Center now, which holds 10,000 people. And he said, it's going to be all black uh, performances and we are going to fill it. We are Hmm. going to sell it out. And I have to say, I was sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, what (laughs) is he talking about? (laughs) And, of course, they were thrilled. And, yes, this was great. And so the other highlight I can think of off the top of my head is seeing the Halifax Metro Center sold out for these incredible, incredible black performers. And believe me, the talent on that stage, all from here, by the way, yeah, um, unbelievable, unbelievable. 
the 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 Reverend Wallace Smith from from North Preston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had it we had it in the round with the symphony. So it was a big stage right at Center Ice, with an eight foot platform around it, big square, and he sang. Jesus loves me, mm-hmm. a cappella. Wow! And there he was. He's not a large man, dressed in black, walking around this this huge stage in the center of the arena, singing "Jesus loves me." And when he swung into the last words of the last chorus, the entire place was on its feet. Wow! That must have been an incredible moment. It was absolutely incredible. And moments like that must make all of the the grind and the graft worth it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they're really, you know, when you ask that question, it's, it really is a very tough question because there have been many of those kind. There is one I would like to mention Mm. uh, because I was thinking while Fiona was, talking there uh, of some of them, but uh, like walking the queen across the stage after drum performance and so on, which of course, you know, how, how do you top that? But I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) That shows what an incredible career you've both had that, that, that that's something that you forgot. That shows there is a, that is a good sign. (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, well, Brooks, sorry, but Brooks had the Queen, and mm. uh, and I was with Prince Philip. Right, wow. And we had a ball. But they, so funny. You, you should point out that I was walking, we were walking across the stage, just to put this in context, guys, because part of our the situation was that we would introduce them to the cast right. individually. So... There's there there were I think 24 people on stage in the, in the cast that night, so I was walking ahead with the Queen and and having to introduce her to every single one of them, and um, you know that took some time. But meantime, Fiona was behind me with the Prince, doing the same thing, but the difference between and what all always stood out is that the Queen is very a very formal person and so you know the introductions were pretty straightforward and so on and the chat was pretty straightforward but fiona through a few paces behind with the prince he is very much the opposite and all i could hear was fiona laughing and the cast that they were talking to laughing (laughs) 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 and thinking she's having a blast back there but (laughs) I'm at work here. I mean, drama is a, is a is a perfect example that really kind of encapsulates what you have done and achieved, but also something which you make makes you wonder why more people don't realise what an impression and an incredible effect the arts can have, because it was obviously conceived as something to kind of celebrate the very core of of what Nova Scotia is and Nova Scotia's history and the incredible people here. But because you made it a, a world-class production, it became a, a, a global thing to, to the extent that I'm sure that many of the people going to see drum globally, whether they're in Chicago, Boston, wherever they were, 
they maybe hadn't even heard of Nova Scotia. They were going to see this show because they heard it was an amazing show. And then everything that, that they, in addition to enjoying a great show, they got to learn about this, this magical place. Uh, can you tell me a bit about how it was conceived and then how it was that you had this vision that made it so big? Um, <laughs> well, it was one, another one of those Eureka type mm. situations. Fiona and I were were up at Lewisburg with the kids, four kids in the van, and uh, you know, out on a little tour. And we did our tour of the fort. Mm-hmm. And when we were leaving, uh, I was curious because a friend of mine, Steve McDonald, and I were thinking of doing a show in there, and I was curious just what kind of music. Uh, ever happened in the fort during back in the day so we talked to one of the guides and she said well they had drums and uh, I kind of pushed her a little bit on that and said well they must have you know had more than drums happening she said no that was that they were big on drums so we were driving back to uh, where we were driving around Cape Breton at that point i think we were heading back for the hotel but uh we were driving through uh uh Mi'kmaq community and they were driving past one and the and the thought went off my mind holy mackerel the, the french soldiers had drums in that fort and here in Mi'kmaq territory the drum is such a major part of the culture and uh, and a symbol and it has such a distinctive beat and rhythm mm. what if we put that steady rhythm they have together with whatever the soldiers were playing and then we've got our celtic musicians and our acadian players all of them with uh, with distinct rhythms and built around those rhythms, built around that steady uh, indigenous rhythm, mm. could actually bring these cultures together. And, and particularly given that the indigenous one, which is the one that would be the basic rhythm, right. were the people, the heartbeat, and the people that were here first. So the brain was coming apart with the visions of how that could be manifested and and what it could do in the world. And it went from there. I mean, did you have any idea that it would become something that could tour and become a project that could be devoured by people anywhere? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, this, it's not that there isn't fear involved. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's plenty of that. And, the, you know, the, the, the 3 a.m., my God, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and all that, especially given that, you know, a lot of the cast, to, to find people from those cultures who have the talent, a lot of them were were like hospice workers and teachers and fishermen and you know you name it. Yeah. Uh, and and a lot of them, of course, were professional were musicians in their own right as well. Some of them with some one or two of them with some real mm-hmm. serious credentials. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know to hang it all on on the general theme of you know the the level of experience that the musicians all had was pretty scary. 
Yeah. But boy, when they when they landed on a stage, I remember the night in Florida, the very first show we did in the U.S., Fiona and I were literally sitting out there in this magnificent theater with a Picasso painting down in the lobby, hanging on to each other. <laughs> oh, I didn't breathe for 10 minutes. <laughs> and the show started, and uh, the very first piece, uh, the place just took off. It was stunning. We were, <laughs> I well, think we were in tears. Well, it was a kind of quiet at the very at, first. At the very first. It starts with the, if you can imagine, in, in Sarasota, Florida, it starts with a smudging ceremony. And, I mean, this is quite a few years ago before that was cool. And, uh, and, and you know, then this uh, Mi'kmaq drumming and a, a song. And so it was very, forgot very, about that. very quiet. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm looking around at all the, the stone uh, faces. And they're kind of just staring. And I thought, oh, dear. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the, um, I think it was when the Acadians, the, the Acadians landed yeah, on the shores of Nova Scotia exactly. and Bay. And the place just erupted. <laughs> And that's when I started to breathe again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, wow. I mean, I get goosebumps just hearing these stories, which I, I knew I would, because, I mean, just reading about and hearing about the things that you've both done in your life and careers just amazed me and, and inspired me in so many ways. I mean, as I say, when I came here, it was very daunting. You know, they say there's nothing more stressful in life than moving house or having a baby or changing jobs. But I did all three of those at the same time and factored <laughs> oh in a, a, a new country at the same time and then to arrive in a place where the average person on the street would be uh, quite dismissive of the possibility of a life in the arts in this region and it was only when I first started reading about and learning about the work that you both do and have done all these years that it was a real inspiration to me so I, I thank you for uh, giving me the impetus to be able to not curl up in a ball and cry <laughs> oh, I, I think we're going to show humility to hell out the window after hearing that <laughs> Cape Breton, of course, is the is well, this might be argued. Perhaps the Newfoundlanders wouldn't uh, take on take this so well, but it really has been the the, the crown and the jewel of East Coast entertainment. Yeah, uh, and uh, so you're you're completely correct about that part for sure. Yeah. It's beautiful it's, it's it's so true and um you know what's absolutely amazing is that we have managed to talk about live entertainment in uh, 2021 for one hour without once saying the word covid i mean we deserve we this is must be the only podcast or interview or conversation that has occurred and i love and that i think that says everything about the joint diamond and mullinger outlook which is that we are not going to focus on the, the last 12 months is what it is um so i'm not going to change that by asking you anything uh, pandemic related but I am just going to ask, like, how you see the industry um, uh, evolving over the next uh, year, five years. And, um, and you know, we talked earlier about the way in which it, it, it has changed. But of course, in many ways, uh, it hasn't changed in that when you started out, you know, all those decades ago, there was uh, there was amazing talent there. And there was amazing hardworking people behind the scenes like yourselves uh, getting that talent out there. Um, and, and there is still all of those things. Um, but what do you see happening next? or do you just uh, keep embracing the excitement and, and again I see the excitement 
moment that you have for new talent. And it was, I mean, thanks to, to both of you that I discovered Rini Smith, who is one of my uh, favourite artists anywhere in the world now. Well, I, I just say uh, what I think is, of course, one of the big differences uh, now is that there's some infrastructure here. Mm. Uh, in Atlantic Canada and support for new artists, which is wonderful to see. And there's many other uh, excellent agents, managers, um, promoters um, that uh, are doing uh, a superb job in getting artists uh, across Canada and across North America and across the world. So that's really heartening. And I believe, as I said earlier, the talent is still here. It's still coming uh, at an amazing rate. Uh, and it still speaks to this place. And it's still unique. And so I tend to think, I mean, Brooks is the eternal optimist. I'm <laughs> a little bit less so, but I have to say I'm very optimistic for the future. We have, uh, we're also uh, an area that leads in technology and digital technologies Mm -hmm. and that's a very important part of how the future of entertainment uh, and performance is going and so those things together and then our our really burgeoning film industry um, I think there's a very bright future here totally agree it's all in the talent it's all in the songs, and uh, we we can only testify in the, on this uh, front that uh, we're still we're still being excited. Rini is a perfect example of incredible background in in the whole music world through her family, uh, and we've just discovered uh, another brilliant young man from up Hans County, Roland Grant, uh, a guitar player. Um, who'd have guessed it? Uh, but uh, knocked our socks off first five minutes. And uh, we're off on those two journeys now, which is uh, hugely exciting and um, keeps us alive in and, a very large way. And by the way, we had no intention of... Uh, doing anywhere doing any of that it was you know <laughs> yeah. when when Rini, we've known her family for many years and when they came to us looking for a bit of help we we couldn't say no hmm. uh and and couldn't be happier working with such again wonderful people and then roland came along and hmm. the same thing happened we just said holy smokes we've got to work with him he's so good and he he needs to get out there in the world so you know we ended up here again i have no idea when we're ever going to stop this but <laughs> well, we had to be talked into coaxed yeah to go to see the show um and i hate to say that but it's true and uh, and we as i said i I could feel Fiona blushing when he walked out on stage. It was incredible. <laughs> he was a total uh, rookie in in terms of live performance, and he got a standing ovation. Wow. It, and we went out to, for a coffee with him after the show, and uh, what a fella. Holy mackerel. We, we were goners. And there we were back in it again. 
Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Well, he's um, and as you know, I mean, thanks to thanks to you nurturing this talent and bringing them to to people's eyes, he's of course featured in the next issue of the Maritime Edit. So thank you for uh, embracing these artists because it gives us things to write about. It's wonderful writing about them oh not at all um uh i guess the only thing left for me to say is that uh is thank you uh for for everything you've done for for the for the industry for the region and uh indeed for joining me today um i like you have been lucky enough to to meet the queen i've been lucky enough like you to work with jerry seinfeld but there's only one thing that i really want in my career and life and that is to attend one of your infamous quaker shakers oh uh, my gosh which oh, I my gosh. have heard all about and I understand I'm legendary and I'm hoping I will be invited to a quaker shaker sometime <laughs> I'm not sure you might regret that <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, scratching my head, James, wondering where you got that in. Uh, let, 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 let's just say that um, what the, the last podcast we recorded might have been with your nephews, uh, Todd and Jeff Bishop. <laughs> you know, James, nobody in this world might regret that more than you. <laughs> Well, let's put it this way. I haven't yet. Both my sons, uh, seven and ten, and they're excellent at playing uh, hockey. And one of my greatest joys is watching them play hockey. But I cannot uh, skate still. And I know you have a legendary backyard skating ring. I I think uh, someone should attempt doing stand-up comedy while skating for the first time. Yes, you. (laughs) (laughs) Count me in. Oh, well, thank you both so much for everything. And uh, thanks for being here with me today. Well, thank, thank you. you, James, for <laughs> moving here to Atlantic Canada and, and doing such a, well, stupendous is not the word. Um, I don't, I'm still trying to come to grips with how you're getting all this done. Uh, <laughs> From podcasts to magazines to having a career is beyond, totally beyond Fiona and I. But you have done such a superb job of taking Atlantic Canada out on the stage, on the publication stage, and putting it as the main act. And uh, we appreciate that hugely. Uh, That means the world coming from both of you. So thank you. And uh, we will hang together soon. Good stuff. On skates. Exactly. On skates. Lots of love. (laughs) Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. This show is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. They are connecting entrepreneurs and companies to the resources they need to succeed on the amazing island of Cape Breton. Visit capebretonpartnership.com for more information on how you can improve your life and business by investing in Cape Breton Island. To learn more about the work of Fiona and Brooks Diamond, go to their website, brooksdiamondproductions.com. Further details can be found on the edit website, maritimeedit.com, and I will see you next time. Podstarter. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.